get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I always love being able to catch up with our friend Buster Olney, ESPN's Major League Baseball insider. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Buster underscore ESPN. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Buster, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time with us today. How are you doing, my friend? I wish I was doing better. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot. I mean, you know, there's globally, there's a lot in baseball. There's a lot going on right now. Yeah, to say the least, uh, let, let's talk about the issues right now in baseball, Buster, because, my God, I... I had a little bit of optimism. I mean, they've been talking three straight days, which uh, that's a good thing. Objectively, Uh, unfortunately, yesterday you see, okay, the leverage is starting to get cranked up from both sides. The owners come out and say, hey, February 28th is a firm deadline. We will not be making up any games that are missed as a result of us not getting a deal done by February 28th. And then the players say, okay, fine. If you don't give us the full 162, we are not giving you the hundred million dollars that you want with this expanded postseason. What did you make of all of the back and forth that started coming out yesterday, Buster? It just feels so needless. Um, and, and it's interesting to see, you know, other players uh, like Steven Souza Jr. sending out uh, tweets basically saying, boy, it would have been nice if we had had all these talks months ago. Like, and that, you know, for the last six or seven years, I've just been astonished by how little dialogue there is. But here we are. We're down to the last 96 hours. Um, I look, you know, think back to 2016 when the players didn't really engage with Major League Baseball for months and months and months, and then that deal was rushed across uh, under the the pressure, under the threat of a deadline, and it turned out to be a bad deal for the players. If I'm sitting here today and I'm guessing what's going to happen, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the players, because if you think of it like a neighborhood poker game, the players have $100 worth of chips in front of them, and uh, the owners of the neighbors that have a million dollars worth of chips in front of them. Who do you think is going to win that? Um, but here's the problem. I think the owners, while they might make a deal uh, you know, sometime in the next four or five days, which is going to look good for them, I think the sport is going to lose. I think the fans are going to lose uh, because the continued awful relationship that's not collaborative, it's not cooperative between the two sides, will continue to drag down the sport. Buster, yesterday felt like rock bottom for me in terms of just the negotiations. Does it feel like rock bottom, or do you think it can get worse from here? Well, if you actually go past Monday, then I think we've officially reached the stage where these two sides that have been playing chicken have driven off a cliff. Uh, Because if, in fact, they wind up losing games, uh, 
then we're talking about the nuclear option where, you know, the, the, the potentially you could have a stalemate that could go in uh, into the middle of the year. I'd never forget, you know, the night of the lockout, December 1st, getting a text from an experienced longtime agent uh, knowing who knows the tendencies of both sides, texted his players, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Easter, uh, I'll see you on Flag Day, which is June 14th. And, and at that time, I remember saying that, and a couple of you know my colleagues said, well, that's really alarmist. And, I'm, and I just said to them, look, this, this guy has nailed the actions of the two sides and how they react to each other. Um, and it certainly looks like that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. That would be rock bottom, because what that would mean it, to me would be that the owners would say, you know what? We're going to do what we can do to completely weaken this union that has long been considered to be one of the strongest in the world. Um, and it would break down the, you know, the union to a degree that we've, we haven't seen really since the 1960s. And uh, on the flip side, as I said uh, you know, before, I think everybody would be losers. The owners might win this negotiation, but they would be losers because, again, no one would be really caring about the product, about the golden goose. That's my follow-up, Buster. Who's in these negotiations saying, hey, can, can we take a step back for a second? Like, what, what about baseball? <laughs> what, what about the sport that everybody in this room claims to love? The owners, the players, everybody at least claims publicly, hey, we, we, we are all baseball fans. That's why we're a part of this. Is anybody sticking up for the sport in these negotiations? And that is not unprecedented. You know, in 1995, if you remember when the players were on strike, uh, and the owners decided to use this replacement player system. And Peter Angelos, the Orioles owner, uh, basically stood up and said, look, I'm not going to field the replacement player team, uh, because if I do, then Cal Ripken's streak is going to be uh, in jeopardy. That's a financial loss for me. I'm not going to do that. In 2002, uh, at that time, the big issue was whether or not there was going to be drug testing. And a bunch of clean players went to the leadership of the union and said, we understand we've had this uh, stance uh, for privacy rights. You know what? We can't do that. We, we need to uh, protect the, you know, the interests of the clean players, and it's time that we adjust and we, and we uh, agree to drug testing, and that's exactly what happened. So in the past, there have been leaders which have taken them to the middle. I, all along, you know, when this uh, you know, thing started back in December, all along my question was, who's the player Who's the, the guy on management side? Uh, what's the mechanism that's going to get these two sides out of their respective bunkers into this moment? I don't know what that is. Buster, uh, for me, like it, it does feel like the players are going to have to cave at some point to get yep. these negotiations done. What do you think the biggest thing they're going to have to cave on is, is going to be? The competitive balance tax levels, because uh, that, that really at this moment is the big issue. Um, and without getting too deeply in the weeds, because I, you know, I come from a family where other my, uh, my siblings don't care about baseball and they don't want to hear about CBT levels. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to be very general here. You know, the owners want lower C- CBT levels to curb the spending of teams like the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers. The, the union wants higher CBT levels because they want them to spend more. They're very far apart on that issue. At some point, I think the, uh, the players are going to have to cave in on that issue and accept what for them is going to be a bad deal. And I really hope at that point that the players do something that they didn't do after they got crushed in the 2016 negotiations, and that is to ask the question, 
is this strategy of non-engagement working for us? Because under you know the late great union leader uh, Michael Weiner, they engaged constantly, and guess what? The players made more money than at any point in their history. The salaries for players have been going down in recent years uh, at a time when they're not engaging. I've been shocked that they haven't monetized, you know, some of these initiatives on, an, on a year-to-year basis. For example, uh, you know, pace to play. Uh, you want hitters to stay in the box? Okay, what do you give us for that? You Last year, you want to have expanded playoffs? Okay, what's that worth to you? They haven't engaged on a regular basis, and that is a refrain I hear from agents and I hear from players beneath the, the leadership, and they need to assess all of that as they come out of this. Follow-up question on that a little bit, Buster. And by the way, we're talking with Buster Olney, ESPN's great MLB insider. We always appreciate him giving us a little bit of time here on BK and Ferrario. I I mentioned some of this earlier today on the show. Since 2016, the NFL salary cap has boosted from $143 million per team to $182 million per team. In that same stretch, the NBA has gone from $70 million to $112 million. And the NHL has gone from $71 million to $81 million, obviously not quite as significant of a jump, but in terms of the percentage and increase in the cap, it's like a 15% increase for those teams. Meanwhile, baseball's payrolls have gone down in that same stretch of time. Yeah, I know that this is like the dirty word for the Players Association and for 70 years of its existence, it was probably the right stance to have. Is it time for the Players Association to have a serious conversation about whether or not now is the time? Obviously not like literally right now, but in the next agreement, is the time to start talking about a potential salary cap? I think at very, the very least, they need to do an assessment as to whether or not that's a, a good strategy for them. And look, I mentioned the, you know, the privacy uh, right stance that was in place for years from the union, and that became obsolete in the, in the face of reality, where you know, there were so many players doing PDs that they had to change. I think the same thing has to, to happen with this. And it's interesting, when you talk to players privately, when you talk to agents privately, and I'm talking about rank and file, uh, they kind of shake their heads a little bit at the stance of, we'll never agree to a salary cap. Heck, those 2016, that labor agreement, they effectively did, as players and agents will say, agree to a salary cap. And why not, in this situation, compel tanking teams like the Baltimore Orioles to spend more money? Uh, Agree to a salary floor. If you can get you know, the Orioles have spent $60 million more in the free agent market and a bunch of other teams have spent money. If your share of the pie gets larger, then that could be a win for the players. I don't think that was fully explored this time around. I think it needs to be explored going further. Hey, you know, the, the very high-end free agents, it might cost them a little bit of money. You know, the guy's making $35, $40 million a year. But if it helps the middle class uh, significantly, if it helps the younger players, why not at least consider it? Because it certainly is a system that seems to be working in other sports. I'm so glad you mentioned that they effectively agreed to it in the last one. And the reason why I, I, I view it that way is because, like, you got all the bad if you're the Players Association without any of the benefits. Because the nice thing about a salary cap is you've got that floor that you mentioned. So, like, 2016, for example, the Marlins had the lowest payroll in the league at $68 million. Last year, there were six different teams that had a payroll that was beneath that $68 yeah. million threshold. So, okay, cool. Now the Dodgers have gone down 
down from $270 million in 2016 to 230 last year, but you're not getting the boost that you see from the floor. So you're getting all of the bad, none of the good. What's the point of this right now? Uh, Buster, to me, it just seems like they're, they're, they're cutting their nose to spite their face. I don't understand why they won't at least consider, be open to the idea of a salary cap. But this brings me to my next question of, Okay, maybe part of this is they just don't believe that owners would actually open and be forthright with what the revenues are in baseball. Do you think that is a fair concern from the player side? Well, I think, uh, look, if you're, gonna, if you're going to have a system like that in place, then I think from the, you know, the player's perspective, you're going to want some uh, you know, checks put in place. You're going to want to be able to, you know, to have some transparency put in place but I, you know, I agree with the overriding uh, feeling that um, you know, that that really has not been fully explored, fully vetted. It's just dismissed out of hand as a principle. And again, I can tell you, and, and Max Scherzer, who I have so much respect for as a, a person and as a player, you know, he said a month ago to the LA Times, you know, I've never seen more, you know, the more together. I, I when I read that, I'm like, that's not true. That's just simply not true because I hear it all the time from rank-and-file players where they're saying, now that system that seems to be working for players in other sports, why haven't we explored it? And I'm not even saying agree to it. I'm saying fully explore it to see if, in fact, this injects more money into, uh, you know, into, the, into the, the ranks of the players. And, you know, that all said, and I, I do feel like in this moment that uh, I do think that the owners in this moment need to be the more magnanimous side because they've got the bigger pile of chips. We were talking about the neighborhood poker game. Mm-hmm. They've got more money. They've taken so much financial landscape. Today, the next 70, uh, 72, 96 hours, they need to be the side that steps forward with a bigger financial offer uh, on toward the players because uh, they're in a position to do that. I don't think there's any question they're, they're going to win this negotiation, but the question is when they dunk on the players, will they also taunt them? I hope not. Buster, final one from me. And if this thing continues to carry on, it just feels like more and more of the common baseball fan is just going to bow out of this because it's just so infuriating with them. You opened up talking about how troubling times we're dealing with right now with everything going on. Last time that this happened, they needed steroids in the home run race to get fans back. Do you think fans come back after all of this easier? Not all of them. Um, look, I've, I've got friends who've canceled season ticket packages with uh, the teams that they follow uh, because their feeling is, you know, why, why, you know, why should they hold my money? Um, there already are teams that are concerned about the drop in, in payroll. And here's the thing, again, the cost of, of this labor uh, situation that we have, let's say they even agree to a deal in the next 96 hours. There's already a concern that what's going to happen uh, is that when baseball resumes, there are going to be some teams not having sold tickets the last two months ago. You know what? We're going to cut our payroll. We're going to trade away these stars. We're going to dump salary. That's what happened in the spring of 1995. And guess who's going to pay for that? The middle class of the union, the same group that has already seen hemorrhaging in recent years. Uh, again, it, when this is all over, I think there needs to be an assessment on both sides. Is this the way we want to go? The incrementalism on the owner's side and the lack of engagement on the player side. All right, Buster, some quick hitting questions for you. Again, thank you for your time today. When things are agreed upon, let's let's hope to God that this happens soon, but uh, let's say in this hypothetical scenario, something takes place, and on Monday we've got a deal between the two sides, and now business is opening back up next week in baseball. 
do we see a bunch of one-year deals? What what does free agency look like in your mind? Well, first off, you know, they're, uh, Freddie Freeman, who's at the top of the free agent class, he's going to do well. Um, I don't think, based on what I've heard from different teams, there's a growing uh, that he's not going to go back to the Braves. I think it's possible he's going to go to, uh, you know, to another team. I think Carlos Correa, uh, Trevor Story, the two top free agent shortstops, they'll get big deals, but they're not going to get deals like maybe they would have uh, before we had the lockout. And yes, uh, for most of the free agents, there's going to be, and there are about 200 of them, they're going to get crushed. Um, and, and you're going to see accomplished relief pitchers, for example, who are not going to get, you know, three years and 30 million. It's going to be more like uh, a one year deal for $800,000, a non roster invite. That group of players is going to pay for this lockout. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and there's already, you hear that privately from agents who feel like that, uh, you know, unfortunately, again, that's the group that's going to get gouged. What do you think happens to the DH corner infield slash outfield market? Is it going to have a similar type of situation to those relievers that you're talking AKA about? AKA Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, the Schwarbers, the Castellanos, and even the, the lower tier levels, the uh, Nelson Cruz's, Jock Peterson, those types of players. Yeah, I think that uh, Schwarber and Castellanos are going to do okay because they're going to benefit from the fact that you're going to have a universal DH. You know, more teams, nationally teams will get involved. You know, maybe they're not going to get necessarily a nine-figured contract, but there's belief in those guys offensively. But, you know, and I'm just pulling a name out, and Anthony Rizzo is going to take probably take a hit from this situation. Uh, I think when he gets a deal, it's going to surprise you, um, you know, how low it winds up being. I think uh, – um, you know, a, a guy like Chris Bryant, I think potentially is going to take a hit from this. I think uh, MLBTradeRumors.com projected him for like a $160 million deal. That would really surprise me given the, the climate and where I think some of the budgets are going to go. And there may be, I mean, this would have a direct impact on the, on the Cardinals. Um, if, in fact, these teams are concerned, small market, mid-market teams, about how many tickets they're going to sell, maybe that compels the Milwaukee Brewers to finally follow up on some of the conversation they've had and actually trade Josh Hader. He's been in the market and available the last couple of years. He's been the best reliever in baseball the last two years. But at some point, um, you know, I do think they're probably going to be roster adjustments based on those budget cutbacks that might be coming. Two quick things. I'll ask them simultaneously so we can be generous. You've already been so generous with your time. Uh, do you think Jose Ramirez is another guy that could potentially become available? And also as a part of this, what do you think the Cardinals do when things open back up? Yeah, um, Jose Ramirez, I think a lot of people are going to ask the, the uh, Guardians about him, but his, he's so valuable in the current context, you know, with a, you know, one of the best players in baseball with, uh, you know, a one-year deal this year and then a club option for next year. As I've had sources tell me, there's probably no deal that could equal his value. And the Guardians would at least, in a year in which they're trying to market their franchise with a new uh, moniker, they probably would keep him. Uh, I haven't heard much specifically with the Cardinals, but I will tell you this. If they've got some money to spend this spring, if they've got a little payroll flexibility, that could distinguish them from a lot of other teams. And you could do some major damage because it is going to be a buyer's market. If you could add one player to this team, final thing, Buster, who would you add? Well, um, uh, you know, and, and Milwaukee would be one of those teams that actually might consider doing something like this. If you could add... Uh, a Josh Hader, if you could add one of these elite bullpen pieces, I, I just don't think you can go wrong. Uh, let's face it, that that uh, 
you know, that's probably where the big market teams are going to do their most, most of their damages in, in upgrading their bullpens. You are going to see the New York Mets go crazy. Um, one quick rumor that I've heard is that when this starts up again with transactions, a team to watch in the Freddie Freeman market is the New York Mets, who've blown way past the, you know, the luxury tax threshold. They've already got Pete Alonso, but maybe they decide, you know what, we can get a better defender at first base. You can move Alonso to DH. Uh, even if they take their payroll over $300 million, I think they're going to be hyper-aggressive in trying to upgrade how they upgrade. Buster, you are the absolute best. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We always appreciate your insights and your information. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend, hopefully about baseball actually being played. Oh, I hope you're so right, and I hope I'm totally wrong, and, and they, <laughs> they they get a deal done, and it's bouquet and, bouquets and flowers, you know?